The Eddie B. Sit edition, an audio series of the Talmud Bavli. Masechet Ketubot has been dedicated by our dear friend Mr. Elliot Shasho. Hashem Yishmineu Vehayehu. May the Zikrut of the Limud of Masechet Ketubot stand for him that he should have Be'ajat Hashem, Ashana Tovam Borechet, Osher Ve'osher Ve'chavod, Shalom Bayit, Ve'atzlacha Be'chol Ma'asei Yadav, and Be'ajat Hashem may he continue to be a supporter of Torah and all holy uh, projects. Amen. Daf Memtet. Today's daf has been dedicated by Mr. Victor Gindi, Hashem Ishmeru Vehayehu, for continued Hatzlacha in all his uh, endeavors, continued success, Biriut, health, happiness, and all good things. Amen. Today's daf is being studied by the Nishmat of Raham ben Esther, Ruh Hashem, Tanihinu Begin Eden. Amen. Today's daf is being studied by the Nishmat Sophia, Bat, Frida. Today's daf is being studied for Ashlema Yosef ben Sarah, Rahamim ben Adel, Vesara Bat Rahid Enna, Refan Lem Betov Shar Hole Amo Israel. Amen. We begin today's daf on Memhet Amud Bet. We are going to begin 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 lines from the bottom. Dana, we have a statement from a Braita. Masar ha'av ba'al. Let's say a case where the father gave her over to the messengers of the husband for hupa'a vizinta, and at that point, already she committed znut harezu behenek. So a punishment is going to be behenek. Now let's review the laws. Normally, a girl who's an arusa, she's engaged and she commits znut, so her punishment is sekila. However, once a girl is married and she commits zanut, so the punishment she gets is chinik, which is strangulation. So the hadush of this braita is that once she's given over already to the husband's messengers, already she's subject now to the regular law of a nisu'ah, which would be chinik. So the Gemara asks, what is the biblical source for this halakha? Amar bi'ami barhama. Amar kira. The Pasuk says, Liznot bet abiha. Now that is the Pasuk that's talking about a girl that commits znut when she's in Arusa, and she will get sikila. So the Pasuk says, Liznot bet abiha. That only when she commits the znut bet abiha when she's still in the father's jurisdiction. Prat, av, So it's coming to include, exclude a case where the father gave her over to the shiluchim of the Baal, now she's in the jurisdiction of the husband, and therefore the punishment is going to be chenek. So the Gebrat Zu said, Maybe it's coming to exclude a case where already she was given over to Kupa, but she did not have Bi'ayat. Which means, maybe the Hidush is that only in the case already where she was given over to Kupa, but even if she didn't have Bi'ayat, so since she was given over, which means she had the Kupa, then she'll be subject to Hinnik, because that's already considered married. However, maybe if she was just given over to the messengers, maybe that's not considered Nisu'ah yet. So, Amarava, Amarli, Ami, so he said, Ami said, Chupa, Behedya Ketiva. 
the fact that once a girl's given over to chupa, even though there's no bi'ah, we know that's for sure that's considered nisu'in already, and the punishment is going to be henik. I don't need a statement for that. How do you know that? Because it says in the pasuk, that if a girl's going to be na'ara betula me'orasa. So the Gemara analyzes, and this is the case where she committed snoot and she's punishable by sekidah. So the Gemara analyzes the pasuk, na'ara velo bogeret. That the law of sekidah only applies to a na'ara, not a bogeret. So she's 12 years old, not 12 and 6 months. Betula velo be'ula. When it says betula, means she's a betula, she's a virgin and not a be'ula. Me'orasa, what does me'orasa teach me? Velo nisu'a, not married. My nisu'a, now what does it mean, not married? Ilima if you tell me that she's actually married, that when she's married there's no more sikilah, so that's the case already of betulah velo be'ulah, which means once she's already married, she's not a betulah anymore. So he excluded her already from the dirashah betulah velo be'ulah. So what is nisu'ah coming to exclude? Or when it says in the pasuk, me'orasa, so it must be coming to exclude, that once she enters chupah, she's considered a nisu'ah, and therefore her punishment is headache. So therefore we know that already from a pasuk, so therefore, <coughs> the Hiddush of the Vraita must be what? That once she's even given over to the messengers of the husband, she's given over to them, that's already considered a Nisu'ah, that if she commits Nut at that point, she's going to get Hanek. She's not considered in the jurisdiction of the father. So now the Gemara asks the question. Ve'ema, <coughs> let us say, Hecha de Hadra lebenasha Hadra lemilta which means, once you tell me that once you give her over to the shiruhin of the husband, so now she's considered a nisua in the sense that she commits zinut, that she's going to be hayav, hanik like a nisua. So the question is, is it even going to be, let's say she turned around and came back to her father's house. Do we say, once she left her father's house, she left, finished. Even though she turns back and tries to come back, it's too late. Or do we say, no. That what? So long as she's under the husband's jurisdiction, meaning by the husband's messengers, then she, if she commits nut, she'll be hayaf hanek. But if she turns around and comes back, maybe she'll be hayaf sekila. So that's the Gemara's question. If she turns back, what is going to be the deen? So Amaraba, that question, Kvar Paskat Tanat already was ruled by Tanat Debedib Ishmael. The Tanat Debedib Ishmael, we have a pasuk. Veneder almana ugrusha. The vow of an almana or a girushah, that's a lady that was widowed or divorced, she makes a vow, kol asher asera al nafshah, whatever she forbids on herself, yakum aleha. Well, she, the vow is considered a vow. She must keep her vow. Matal mudomar. Now, what's the hadush of this pasuk? Vahalo mutset mechlal av, umutset mechlal baal. Do I need a pasuk to come and tell me that an almana's vows are vows? Of course. She's out of her father's domain. Because she got married already, and she's out of her husband's domain because he died, or they got divorced. So, what is the hadush of this pasuk? Of course, her vows are vows. The husband is not around to nullify them, and the father is not there because she left her father's jurisdiction. So, of course, her vows are vows. What is the pasuk teaching me? Ela, the case must be talking about the case is talking about where the father gave over his daughter to the messengers of the husband. Or the father's messengers gave the girl over to the messengers of the husband. And she became 
a widow on the road, which means her husband died, or let's say at that point she got divorced, how do I consider her now regarding the vows that she makes? Do I consider, well, since she really didn't go into the jurisdiction of the husband yet, and he died, so maybe she's considered going back to her father's house, and therefore he has to nullify them. Or do I say, no, once already she went into the husband's jurisdiction, even uh, though he died, so therefore she's not considered going back to the father's jurisdiction, and therefore her vows are going to be considered vows. So the Hidush is of the Pasuk, once already she left the jurisdiction of the father, even for a short amount of time, he loses his rights to making hafara. So we want to say the same thing, like just once already, that's the Pasuk, talking about a case where the father gave her over to the messenger, of the husband, and then the husband died. The hadushes, the vows are on her. The father cannot nullify them, which means she's not considered returning to the father's house, because once she's in the jurisdiction of the husband, she cannot come back. So similarly, when it comes to the punishment, once already she was given over to the messengers of the husband, her punishment is hanik, that she commits nut, and even if she turns around and comes back, it doesn't matter. She's already given over, and therefore it always is going to be hanik. Now she over here, the long Rashi, when it just explains us this concept of Nidarim. Look at the Rashi, Dibuna Matheel Ela, Haresh Masar. Kilomar, Lo Bahakatuv, the Almanav, and the Gerushah, and the Nisuin. The Pasuk by Nidarim is not giving me a regular case of an Almanav or Gerushah from marriage. Because we have a Pasuk already that says, That if she makes the neder when she's married, The husband nullifies. Now in the case where she's a widow, the husband's not around anymore. So the Pasuk must be coming to tell me a case of Which means she was given over to the messengers. Because until this point, the Torah only explained to us, when she makes a vow, when she's still in her father's house. Or in a case where she makes a vow when she is married. This case is that she vowed on the road. When she was given over to the messengers, I don't know how to consider it. She still considered in the father's jurisdiction, and therefore he nullifies. In Bet Ishao, she considered married, therefore the husband nullifies. The Fichach, Bakatuzev Vela Medcha, so the Pasuk Tizu Shelotekrala Bet Abiha, she's not considered in the father's jurisdiction, Ela, Bet Isha. She's considered by the husband, Velon Trokna. The power of the husband is not emptied back to the father when he dies. Which means when he dies, it's finished. It's her power now. It doesn't go back to the father. She left. The father cannot nullify. Which means she cannot go back. She does not go back to her original status. Because if let's say she was just an Arusa, and let's say the husband died, before she was given over to the messengers, then already the deen is, like it says in the Darim Dafa'in, if the husband dies from Arusa stage, from the Irusin, then the power is emptied back to the father. And they learn that from Pesukim. So the Hadush over here is that when she's given over, and now let's say she made a vow, and then the husband dies, so she does not go back to the father's house. So the Gemara wants to say similarly, she will not go back to the father's house, 
Chaynek, that means if she committed Znut once she was given over to the messengers, she's considered now subject to the law of Chaynek. Comes the Gemara, continues, Amar Rapapa, Af Anan Nametanina, we also learned in a Mishnah that once the girl is given over to the messengers of the husband, so now if she commits znut, it's considered punishable by chenik. How? It says, Haba al orasa. If a person goes with a na'araham orasa, eno hayav achitehen na'ara, she has to be a na'ara, you're not hayav sikira, until she's a na'ara, being 12 years old, betula, she has to be a virgin, orasa, and she has to be engaged. Vehi bebet avia, and she has to be in her father's jurisdiction. Well, bishlama ne'ara, instantly you have to tell me ne'ara, velo bogeret, to exclude a bogeret. Betula, to exclude velo be'ula, not if she was already had relations. Be'orasa, I know what the word be'orasa has to come to exclude velo nesu'ah. Bebet aviha lim'ute mai, what is bebet aviha coming to exclude? Lav lim'ute masara av l'shluche ha-ba'al. It must be coming to exclude the case. That has to be bet aviha. That's how long she's in the father's jurisdiction. To exclude the case where the father gave her over to the messengers. So now she's already out of the father's jurisdiction. Therefore she's not subject to sikila. Amar ibn Nahman bar Yitzhak. We also learned to... In a Mishnah, Haba al Ishit Ish, a person that has relations with Ishit Ish, Kevan Chitiknesal Rishuta Baal. Once already she entered the jurisdiction of the husband, Minisuin, for the sake of marriage, Afal Pishalun of Ayla, even though she did not have relations yet, Haba Aleha Hareze Behenik. So the punishment is going to be Henik. And it says in the Mishnah, she entered the domain of the husband. It doesn't say that they actually entered Chupah. Once she entered the domain, even if she was given over to the messengers. And what? Her punishment is going to be Henik. So we learn from here that what? Again, from the different proofs that once she's given over to the messengers, it's considered in the husband's jurisdiction that if she commits Nut, she's going to be punishable by the punishment of Hedek. Comes the Mishnah. A father is not responsible for feeding Mizonot food to his daughter. Which means, so long as he's alive, it is not his responsibility. This is the derasha that Rabbi Azab bin Azariah said over in front of the Hachamim Bekerem Beyavne at the literally the vineyard at Yavne. That was the nickname they used to give the Bet Midrash in Yavne, where Rabbi Azab bin Azariah was the Rosh Hashiva. They deposed Rabban Gamliel and they put up Rabbi Azab bin Azariah. And on that day, he said this derasha. The reason why they called it Yavne, the yeshiva, Kerem Beyavne, that is, because the rabbis used to sit in a formation like a vineyard. So they called it. And on that day that they nominated the Azar bin Azariah, he gave the following derasha: Habanim Yirshu. The boys inherit their father. Obviously, after he dies. Vabanot Yazulu. And the girls will be fed, which means the girls get from the estate Mizonot. They get fed. Just like the boys do not inherit their father until after he dies. Ha'av, until the father dies. So to the girls, they do not inherit their father, they do not eat mizonot, only after their father dies. Which means, the way that she tells us, 
הבנים ירשו והבנות יעזרו. שתי תקנות תקנו בית דין בתנאי כתובה. Very important, there are two conditions that the rabbis established. They are called תנאי כתובה, which means besides the obligation in the כתובה that the husband says he's going to give his wife money when, if he gets divorced or he dies, there is a law also called תנאי כתובה, that the rabbis established different conditions in the כתובה. So that she tells us the two conditions that are in the כתובה. Number one, הבנים ירשו כתובת, כתובת בנים דחלין, which means the boys are going to inherit their mother's כתובה, which means it's to her advantage, which means her כתובה goes to her. But uh, the, if she dies, so the law is going to be that the, her sons that she has from that husband will inherit the monies of the ketubah. Later on we're going to learn, it says, This is what they write in the ketubah. The boys, That I have from you, They are going to inherit the money of your ketubah. Besides the money that they inherit with their brothers, but being that they're your, they're your children, they're going to inherit also ketubah. Now, the next that she says, this is the second takana that the rabbis established that they write in the ketubah. Meaning your girls. That you have from me, which means the daughters. They will be supported from my house. And they will get support, meaning mezonot, ad de tibgiran, until they become bogrot, or ad tilkihon gvirin, or until they get married, whichever one comes first. So you see, there's two takanot. There's a takana benin dechnin, which means the children inherit their mother's ketubah. There's a second takana that was written in the ketubah, that the girls will be supported until they became a bogeret, or they get married. So, the Bin Azaz Drasha was that just like the boys don't inherit the ketubah until after the death, so too the girls do not get mezonot until after the father dies. So, those are the again two takanot that they established, and that was the Drasha of the Bin Azaz. Ben so the Gemara says, "Bemezonot bito who de eno hayav." So the Gemara makes a diuk. He's not hayav the father that is to support his daughters to give them food. Mezonot implication ha bemezonot beno hayav. But the mezonot of his son, he is hayav. So that's the first implication. The daughter no, but the son, yes. Now the Gemara makes another diuk, another implication. Even his daughter, when we talk about the obligation of the father supporting the daughter, there's no obligation, like the Mishnah's language, but the Gemara makes a diuk, but there is a mitzvah. So again, let's get clear the two implications that the Gemara is making from our Mishnah. Number one, that there's no chayuv by the girls to support them, but there is a hayyuv for the boys. And by the girls, even though there's no hayyuv, there is a mitzvah. Mani matnitin, who is the author of our Mishnah? Lord Rabbi Meir, Lord Rabbi Yehuda, Lord Rabbi Yohanan ben Meruka. It's none of these three rabbis. The Tanya, we have a braita. Mitzvah lazun et banot. So the first shita says, it is indeed a mitzvah to support the daughters, the girls. Kalbachomer lebanim, or the more so, 
It's a mitzvah to support the boys, the askeb Torah, because they are osik Torah, they learn. So they were kocheken, if you have to support the girls, certainly you have to support the boys. Devre Rabbi Meir, that's Rabbi Meir's opinion. Rabbi Uda Omer, mitzvah lazulet banim. He says it's a mitzvah to support the boys, vekalvachomer lebanot, and all the more so for the girls, mishum ziluta. Because of the ziluta, ziluta means that it wouldn't be befitting if you're not going to support the girls. You're going to have to go around collecting at the doors. Then it's not befitting. It's embarrassing for them. So therefore, he says it's a mitzvah to support the boys, all the more so the girls. It is indeed an obligation to support the girls. Only after the father dies. But when the father is alive, both the boys and the girls are not supported. So now the Gemara is going to review to see why the Mishnah cannot be going like any of these opinions. Who is the author of our Mishnah? Well, the Bimi'ir Shitam, the Blaita was that indeed it's a mitzvah to support the boys. Now from Al Mishnah was mashmat that is actually a chobah, because we made a diuk, that the girls you're not hayav, but the boys you're hayav. Where the Bimi'ir says that the boys it's only a mitzvah. Also the Bimi'ir also learned that the banim, the boys, it's only a mitzvah. Whereas Al Mishnah, the implication sounds like it is a hayuv. Which is according to the Yohanan ben Berokai, he says it's not even a mitzvah at all. Not for the boys and not for the girls, which is not the implication of our Mishnah. So therefore the question is, who is the opinion of our mitzvah, or of our Mishnah? So the Gemara says, Iba'etemar bimi'ir, Iba'etemar bihuda, Iba'etemar bihuda, Iba'etemar I could square off the Mishnah according to any of the three opinions. So the Gemara explains how it could be squared off according to the bimi'ir. Iba'etemar bimi'ir, v'hachi ka'amar. And this is what the Mishnah is saying, Alibad bimi'ir. Read the Mishnah like this. Ha'av eno hayab b'mezonot he is not obligated in giving Mizonot his daughter. And read into the Mishnah as follows. And really, he's not obligated to feed his sons as well. But the implication is that a mitzvah for his daughter, there is. And all the Mosul is a mitzvah for the boys because they study Torah. So why then did the Mishnah say that Ha'av eno hayab b'mizonot bito? He could have said the Mishnah also Ha'av eno hayab b'mizonot beno. So the Gemara says Ha'kamash ma'alan the Hidush is the Afilu bito that even his daughter Chobahu deleka ham mitzvah ika. That there's still a mitzvah. Which you, you might have thought that the girls, there's not even a mitzvah. So therefore the Mishnah wrote by the girls to make the implication. Which means, for sure the boys, it's a mitzvah. We don't have to tell you that, because they study Torah, therefore you have to support them. The chidush of the Mishnah is the, one, the reason why he chose the girl to say, So you'll make the implication, yeah, you're not hayab, but there is a mitzvah, because you might have thought there's not even a mitzvah. So that's why the Mishnah chose bito, but who had deen, the father's not obligated to support the 
son as well. So therefore the Mishnah can be going like Rabbi Meir. And therefore the Mishnah is coming to really say the father is not obligated to support the daughters and really who had deemed the boys. And what, but it's a mitzvah to support the daughters. That's the implication. Kavahomer, the boys. I so why did you only say Ha'avinu Hayab Bibito? You could have said Ha'avinu Hayab Lazun Bino. Because the Hadush is in Bito. You might have thought that not only it's not a Hobah, you might have thought it's not even a mitzvah. Right? If it would have said Ha'avinu Hayab Bimizonot Bino, I would have said, but Bito, not only there's no Hayub, it's not even a mitzvah. So therefore it chose Bito in order to give me the implication. Comes the Gemara and says, "Vi ba'item." I can say, "Rabbi Yehuda." That the Mishnah is going to be Yehuda. Vachi ka'amar ha'av eno hayab bemizonot bito. The father is not obligated in the mizonot of bito. Vichol shechen libno, and all the more so, he's not going to be obligated in the. In the Beno, because according to the Be'udah, there's a bigger logic to say that the girl should be Hayab, that he should be Hayab to feed the girls, because it's Ziluda, because otherwise they're going to have to go collect, and it's embarrassing for a girl to go to have to collect. So if you tell me that he's not Hayab for his girls, called Shekin, where there's a Ziluda factor, called Shekin, he's not going to be Hayab for the boys. But I could make a diuk that in the son. For his sons, it is a mitzvah. And once I make the duke for his sons, that it's a mitzvah, kalvachomer lebanot, or the most will be a mitzvah for the girls, because of the zilutah factor. So that's how Rabbi Yehuda can say and learn the Mishnah. Vehad diktani bito, so then why did the Mishnah say bito? Which means the Mishnah could have said, ha'av eno hayav lazun et beno. Why did the Mishnah choose bito? Ha'kamash ma'anan, da'afilu bito, which is you would have thought that maybe the daughter, since there's a ziluta factor, there's an obligation to support. That's why the Mishnah had to come along and say that afilu bito choba leka that there's no choba. See, according to the Biudan, it's the biggest sevarat to say that the girls are that the person, the father's hayav in the mizunot of the girls because of the ziluta factor. So therefore, the Mishnah comes along and has to tell me I have eno hayav bemizunot bito because there's a biggest sevarat to think that they would be hayav because of ziluta. Kamashmalad no, not hayav by the girls. And for that matter, all the most of that hayab by the boys, but there's a mitzvah by both. So therefore, that could be according to Rabbi Yehuda, Rabbi Yohanan ben Beroka. Can even be going like Rabbi Yohanan ben Beroka. He's not hayab in mizonot bito, vehu adin libno. And who adin is a hayab in mizonot of his son. Vehu adin dafilu mitzvah namedeka. And you know what? Not only is there no choba by the girl and the boy, to support them, but there's not even a mitzvah. Ah, so then why did you say in the Mishnah the word chobah? You should have said there's not even a mitzvah. Because since after the father dies, it becomes a chobah for the estate to support them. So therefore, So therefore, use the Lashon Hayav in the Resha. Even though in the Resha, really, not only there's no Hayyub, there's not even a mitzvah to support not the girls, not the boys. But since at the end of the Mishnah it says that after the father died, there's a chiyuv of the estate, so therefore he used the Nashon chiyuv in the Rishah. So the Mishnah can be according to either of these opinions. Amar Rabbi El-Ah. Amar Ishtakish Mishum Rabbi Yehuda. Bar Hanina. Be'usha. In Usha, Usha was one of the places that the Sanhedrin sat. That's where the... Uh, 
Gazita, actually the rabbis of the Sinedine exiled ten different places. As we learned in Masichet Rosh Hashanah, one of the places was called Usha. So there they made several takanot, they made several uh, different establishments in Halakha. Hitkinu the takanot they made was Shia Adam Zan et Banav ve'et Benotav Keshehem Ketanim. So they made a takanot that what? That a uh, father has to support his children when they are ketanim. Even though we learned in the Mishnah that it's no obligation, really. But they made a takana that what? That they should support the, um, the children up until when they bring sa'arot, up until they bring hairs, until they mature. Does the halakha follow the uh, practice of usha or does it not uh, follow the practice? Which means, is it an obligation now to support the children? When they came in front of Rabbi Yehuda, when they came to ask him this question, uh, do they have to support the little children? He would tell them like this, Ya'arod yalda. Ya'arod is the, uh, like a whale or a fish. The fish gave birth to children. And the, uh, they put the panasa of these children on the people of the city, which means, what are you talking, you had children, you had the children now, and you want to now throw the responsibility of supporting them on the people of the city? So he would tell them that. Now, which is mashma that the halakha really is not uh, like the rabbis of Usha, because he didn't tell them halakha you have to, he would just give them this musad and say, listen, you had the children, uh, the, the, the fish had the children, now do you want to throw the support on the, uh, on the city people, on the people of the city? It's mashma that he was just giving them musad, but it's really not mandatory. When they came in front of Rav Hazda, they asked him this question, that they have to support the children? Amarna, we would say like this, asita. Take the makhteshet, makhteshet is like the the uh, the grinder, which was a big uh, uh, grinder, turn it over and stand on it, bisibura in public, Vilikum and stand on it, Velema and say in public, which means he would tell the father that was not was trying to get away from supporting his children. Turn over the mortar, stand on it in public and make the following announcement. Urba Bae Bene. The ravens support their children. But this guy does not want to support his children. This father is worse than the raven. Even the raven supports his children. And this father over here does not want to support his children. So the Gabbara asks a side question. Does a raven really support his offspring? It says in the Pasuk, that God answers the children of the raven that cry out to him. Implying what? That the father of the raven, the mother raven or the father raven does not feed the children. Therefore the ravens cry out because they're starving. God answers the sons of the ravens that cry out. So therefore, it sounds like they don't get the support. So Gabra says, Ha ha 
It depends if they're white or black, which means when a raven is born, the raven comes, the baby raven is white, and the father and mother are black, and therefore they don't recognize that it's their child, and therefore in the beginning they don't support, and therefore they cry out to God, and Borealam brings little worms that come from the excrement of the little raven, and they crawl up into the mouth of the little raven, and he supports himself and lives from that miracle. However, once the raven, the little raven turns black, then the child, the father, the mother raven starts to support it. So even the raven supports the child, and you're not going to support your children? When they would come in front of Rava, Amarle, he would tell the parents, What, you rather your children get charity? Support them yourself, what do you want to make your children the charity cases? Which means this, that we say, that it's really not an obligation for the father to support the children that's talking where he's not wealthy. Aval, Amid, but if he's wealthy, Kafin and Le al and they force him against his will. Because since he's wealthy, he has to give Siddhaka. So Siddhaka begins at home. So therefore, he has to give his children the Mizonot. Kihad the Rabbah, like the story of Rabbah, Kafyal the Rav Natan bar Ameh. He forced Rav Natan bar Ameh, Vapik Mine, Dalid Me'azuzel Siddhakai. Forced him to give 400 zoos for Siddhaka. And therefore, similarly, if the fellow is rich, and if it's just like to give tzedakah, so they'll force him to give the tzedakah to his children. But you see, it's not a halakah. From all these stories over, you see that the rabbis were just trying to impress upon the father to support the child, but it's not mandatory. Now the Gemara goes on to another halakah that was said in Usha. Amar bi il'a, amar shlakish. Be'usha hitkinu in Usha. They made it takana hakotev kol nechasav lebanav. Let's say a person, when he's alive, he writes all his money to his children. Which means when he's alive, he writes, all my money that I have belongs to my sons. However, him and his wife still get supported from that money. Even though he inherited from when he was alive, he gave it to his children, still they have to use that money to support the parents. Which you shouldn't think that once they get it, they can do whatever they want with it. No, they still have to use that money to support the parents. The Gemara is going to say, what do you have to tell me this Takana and Usha? There's a bigger Takana that the rabbis established. Let me tell you that Takana uh, inside the Gemara. Al-Minato, a person's widow, Nizonet Menis Nechasav. A widow also gets supported from the Nechasim, from the estate. Who the Ishto, Bebaya? Do you have to tell me that they themselves, when they're alive, get uh, uh, support? Now, what is this case exactly that the Gemara is referring to? So the Gemara says, The Shalah Rabin Be'igirte. Ravin sent in a letter the following case. Mi Shemet, a fellow died. Father died. Veniyah Almana Ubat. This is the case we're talking about over here. He left a widow and a daughter. Now, the daughter inherits the uh, estate. The daughter gets the uh, the money. Now, the Hiddush of here is, Al-Minuto, the widow, Nizonet min Nechasav. So the widow still gets uh, from the Nechasim, which is really a tonight in the Kitubah, like we learned, that when the father uh, dies, so the Almana is supported from the Kitubah. But the Hiddush of here is, Niset Habat. Now let's say the girl got married. So now when the girl gets married, let's understand what happens. She inherited from her father. Now once she gets married, that money is transferred now to her husband. 
So the Hiddush over here is Al Nizonet which means now the, the, the husband still has to support the Almana. Which is, let's understand what happened in this case over here. He had a guy who was married, and he had a daughter. He died. So who really inherits in that case? The daughter inherits. The law is that still the Almana gets supported from the estate. Good. Now what happens? She got married now, the Almana. So now that estate is really transferred to her husband. And normally we have a general rule that says that the Almana is supported until the uh, property is sold. Once the property is sold, she does not get uh, supported from the property that is sold. And the logic being is because nobody will ever buy property. Because if they know there's an almana, they're not going to buy the property because they're going to know they're going to have to support the almana from this property. So therefore they made what's called tikkun olam, that once the property is sold, she does not get uh, supported. So over here you have a hadush. Here the property was transferred from the bat, from the daughter, to her husband. But that's not considered as if it was sold to the husband. Because he didn't pay for it, but just by default that he married the daughter, he got that money. So therefore there's no tikkun olam. We're not worried that uh, it's going to come out a problem in this case. But the hadush over here is that the money was transferred to the husband, and still what? He has to support. And the Gabbana goes even further. Let's say the daughter dies now. So now she's out of the picture. Now the money's totally the husband's, her husband's. Amar of Yehuda ben He said, By me there was a case like this. That there was almana and a daughter. The money went to the daughter. The daughter got married. That means the money went to her husband. She died. So now the deen was that still this guy's a stranger now which means this is is her son-in-law still the money goes to the meaning for support so the Gemara basically is saying like this if a total stranger now the son-in-law has to support even though he got the estate to him he still has to support the Almana. Who the Ishtom Do you have to tell me that when children have money that the father gave them, certainly they have to support the mother and the father. If a total stranger that the money went to them, uh, to, to him legally, still we say that he has to support. Certainly the children have to support the mother and father when they were alive. So comes the Gemara and says, Ma'udetema, you would have thought like this. Hatam yeah, over there, by the case of the Almana, the reason why the son-in-law, even though it's his money, he has to support her, because she can't go to work. She, where is she going to make Padnasa? She can't work. Therefore, you have no choice to support her. But over here, in the case where the father gave his estate to the children, let him go to work and support himself and his wife. He's still alive, he can still work. So the Hadush is even so, he does not have to go to work, he gets supported from the estate. So therefore that was the Takana in Usha. Now let's read again, <coughs> since we just said some laws over here that are new, let's read the Rashis over here, starting from Gedona Mizu Amru. Bigdona Mizu Amru, Kegon Almana Ubat. You have a Almana, a widow, and a daughter. Viniseta Bat, and the daughter got married. Sheafa Pishihumet, now even though when the father died, Vanichasimish Tabidulilokeah. Now what? <coughs> the Nechasim. 
they went to the lokeah, which means they went to this uh, husband now, the Rabbanan, Kegon Baal, Benichse Ishto, Vekaimalan, En Mutsiim, the Mazona Isham, Benichasim, Mishubadim, which means normally, once already, there's a, a, a piece of land that's sold, we don't use that for uh, supporting the Almana. Afidu Achecha, Deleka, the Mechashitikun Aonam, Kegon Kihai, Lokeah, like this husband that married the daughter, Shilotzi Maot, he didn't pay money for it, so therefore we're not worried about him uh, being upset that he paid money now they're using the, the taking a uh, uh, for, for the almana. So Shavinu Rabbanan Ki Yoresh. So they treat the husband of the daughter like an inheritor. Just like the inheritors have to support the almana, so we consider like he inherited that money and therefore he also has to support the almana. Even though now it's considered that the husband is a lokeah, which means he bought the, it's like he bought the property. We do not take money for the almana from properties that have a lien on it, which means properties that are now were sold and bought. Again, we said that they treat this uh, transaction that when the bat. The daughter marries the husband, we consider it like he's Yoresha. And therefore, the Gemara says, We don't want the Almana to uh, lose out. So the Gemara says, and, and then the Gemara goes even further, when the daughter dies, so now she's out of the picture, and it's all, it's the son of law, the guy's a total stranger, and still he has to support the Almana. So therefore, you see, Coach Kandahomid, in the case where the father and the mother, they should be supported by the, uh, by the daughter, by, 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 by the estate. <coughs> So comes the Gemara and says, Does the halakha follow this law or not? Which means, a person gives all his money over to his children, which is really, he's giving them a matana. Now, normally when a child, when a person gets a matana, that's like a transaction. And normally we say that once a person transacted and bought something, he's not obligated, there's no liens on those items to support uh, the parents, uh, to support anybody. So therefore, technically you could argue and say, maybe the Allah doesn't follow this. Maybe once the father gave it over as a gift, it's like he transacted, it's like, a, it's like he sold it to them, and there's no liens on those properties. Otherwise, nobody will ever buy anything from anybody. And we have a law that says, Matana is like a mechir. And therefore, since matana, a gift is like a transaction, it's like they bought it, so maybe you'll say that the says the children do not have to support the parents. So the Gemara wants to know, is that a like this or not? So the Gemara tells a story. They were standing. Atau Gavra, a certain fellow came, He went and he kissed Rabbi Yonatan's feet. So the Hanina tells the Yonatan, My high, what is he doing, this guy? Why is he kissing your feet? He says, This guy over here, He wrote all his money to his children. And I forced the children to support him from the uh, money. And therefore, he loves me because uh, I take care of him. So comes the Gemara and says, If you say that Talakha is not like this Takana, that really the children do not have to support the father when he gives them the money when he's alive. That's why he had to force the children because they were doing above and beyond the law. But if you're saying that that is the law, 
which means what did he have to force them? He just should have said that that's the uh, that's the halacha, and uh, the father would not owe the rabbi any favors because he's just uh, enforcing the halacha. It must be that halacha really is they don't have to support, and therefore the reason why I cannot to talk to the rabbi is because of the way he. Because he forced the children to go above and beyond the letter of the law. So you see, the halakha does not follow the takana of Usha, uh, of this takana, this last takana that we said. And therefore, indeed, the children do not have to support the parents when they give them the money because it's like they sold it to them. And anything that has a, a sale, so there's no shi'abu, there's no liens that have to support the parents uh, as well. Baruch Adrani Ulam, Amen, Amen.